She's a ding-dong, but also a straight hottie. It's my sister, Marissa. I'm gonna get it, girl. Get what, exactly? Oh, I don't know. I'm just gonna get everything. <laughs> just to be safe. <laughs> just to be safe. Wow, I I have a lot to say about this episode, but up at the top, Darcy Carden is my MVP An almost American every week. But <laughs> treasure. American treasure, Darcy Carden. Oh my goodness, so... Before we get into all that, uh, I'll just run through the episode structure really quickly. We're going to do a recap of the episode, but before we get to that, I um, want to make sure we get to the housekeeping up front, um, just so people know where to find us. You can find us on iTunes at, you know, The Good Play. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at The Good Play Pod, and you can find us on Facebook at The Good Play. So join in the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. We also have a little miniature website goodplay.cast.rocks. All right. So plenty of places to find us, plenty of places to uh, tell us your favorite food pun because we had even more this week. (laughs) Um, So we're going to do a recap of the episode. We're going to do some discussion and questions. Um, We're going to have a Megan Amram appreciation corner again because she's she's back in our, our hearts and minds. She did not write this episode. No, no. But uh, I think they used some of her puns again. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I found an article uh, that she did an interview with. And uh, then we're going to get into some... I don't think we have spoilers, but we have uh, quite a bit of article roundup to go through. And uh, someone on another podcast that I really like has been talking about the show, too. So I wanted to give them a shout out at the end. So... um, all right, so uh, let's get started with the episode recap of Chapter 20, Janet and Michael. Marissa, would you like to uh, take care of this one, or would you like me to? Well, let's see how I do. You're okay. probably going to have to uh, interject I'll uh, jump in. a bit, yeah. So this episode really only has an A plot. There really is no B plot. And the entire A plot is about, um, as you might guess from the title of the episode, the relationship between Janet and Michael. And it jumps around a bit in time. So I'll do my best to sort of give some time markers here. We actually start with a flashback of Michael stealing Janet from the Janet warehouse uh, and takes her back to the bad place architect's office. Um, Sean thinks it's risky, but Michael demonstrates that if a bad Janet is made to be actually helpful, uh, her face melts off. So in order to maintain the illusion of having a real good place, um, he actually does need a good Janet, uh, to help him. So we flash forward to the present day in Michael's office where we left off at the end of the last episode. Um, Janet is saying, you know, she's glitching and, uh, the neighborhood's going to collapse. So Michael gets her manual out of her nostril, mm-hmm. uh, in a sort of gross, but funny scene. Um, and it gives all kinds of ways to run diagnostics on Janet and he starts running these tests and then Vicky kind of barges in and says, you know, why was there an earthquake? And Michael's really downplaying everything saying, oh, you know, Janet just had a little bit of, oh, I'm sorry. That's wrong. She, actually, Janet lies. Janet lies. 
Yes. Janet says, you know, I'm not supposed to eat, but I ate frozen yogurt and that caused the earthquake. And then it's sort of, uh, then there is a sort of an aftershock from the earthquake as she lies about this. Michael kind of tries to talk Vicky down. Uh, and Vicky kind of is reaching for the nuclear option of I'm going to tell Sean. And then Michael's like, hey, you know what would be great now? Right now, what if he went and tortured Cheedy? And she's like, I love torturing Cheedy. I was thinking about needles. And Michael's like, oh, that's the whole idea. Okay, great. <laughs> bye. Um, she's like a child. <laughs> could just be distracted with like a favorite toy. But needles is her favorite toy. Yeah, it's Ugh. not great. So Michael's running diagnostics on Janet um, and one of the things in the manual says that glitches may be a sign that your Janet is processing or disseminating information that is incompatible with objective truth. And Michael feels like, oh no, uh, I caused this by lying to you. And we sort of see the lies in the flashback where uh, Michael activates Janet. Uh, funny enough, it is not the same sort of activation that we see in the first season after Janet is killed and rebooted. Oh yeah, good catch. Um, so that's a little strange, but, uh, he does activate Janet and he says he's a good place architect and that his neighborhood might be a little bit idiosyncratic. And she says, whatever you want, you know, is great. And I'm here to help you. And then we flash forward to the present and Janet says, it doesn't make sense that it's his lying causing her glitching because he's been lying to her the whole time and she's only just started glitching. So then in this Typical sitcom fashion of explaining something uh, by example, <laughs> just as you uh, start to get confused. Tahani and Jason come in saying that they've been calling for Janet and she's not responding. And Michael says, you know, just ease up. We're trying to fix her. Um, and they say they want jalapeno boppers and we're we're sleeping together. We're to, you know, Tahani admits that they're together and she can admit it now. And Michael's just like, oh, okay. And, <laughs> and he says... He's like, you're sleeping together? And Jason goes, only when we're not having sex. <laughs> oh, God. Janet starts saying how she'd be happy to help the two of them and everything is great. And then they sort of fall into the matrix. <laughs> uh, they just kind of fall into like a, a blank void. Uh, Jason says that they got robbed. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. They took all the the walls, the floors. And we were just standing here. <laughs> he's a he's a ding dong, but he's a straight hottie. Yeah. So Michael kind of shoes them out, and then figures out like, okay, Janet, it's not that I'm lying to you; it's that you're lying. You're lying about being happy about helping to Honey and Jason, you know, in their relationship. And there's a a sort of a funny, you know. Where she's like, I'm always happy to help people. I am happy. I am happy. I am not. I am not happy. I am not happy. That was great. Poor thing. Yeah. You know, she keeps glitching. At one point, she she projectile vomits a bunch of pennies. And it's just so funny because it goes on for such a long time. <laughs> um, so Jenna doesn't have any memory of being in love with Jason. Although, you know, Michael clues her into it. Um, and says, you know, that when that first and that first iteration when you got married to him, and he does actually say you fell in love with Jason, which, you know, in direct contradiction to <laughs> what I had said of her just sort of, you know, being fond of him or accepting right. him or whatever. Um, so it's that must Janet have... love. Maybe we don't quite understand, you know. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Says that uh, that must have caused a mutation that in the subsequent, you know, 800 plus uh, reboots must have... You know, the mutation must have sort of um, amplified itself in each subsequent reboot. So Janet says, you know, 
I'm not able to be repaired, so you should self-destruct. At this point, Chidi is barely in the episode, but he kind of pops in and he and he uh, looks like Hellraiser. He's got, <laughs> <laughs> he's got uh, needles all over all over his face and his feet too. Yeah, it's they are. William Jackson Harper assured everybody on Twitter that they were prosthetics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, you hope so. They were like, uh. Come here for a sec. He's like, what is this for? Oh, oh, nothing. Just, you know, gonna stick you with a million needles. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, yeah, guys, um, this is fine. But like, could you just warn me if Vicky's going to torture me? And Michael's like, get out of here. Like, we don't, we don't have time for this. And that's Cheaty's entire contribution to the episode, which is fair, considering the last few have been very Cheaty heavy. So we kind of go back to this, you know, Janet saying, you know, you have to kill me. You have to kill me. And, and she doesn't mean reboot. She means actually completely deactivate and basically launch into the stratosphere. But then we kind of flash back to the first day of Michael designing his neighborhood. And he's kind of having a panic attack of like, this isn't exactly right. And then he finally says to Janet, like, what's a food that's a bummer, but people think that they like? And she instantly just says frozen yogurt. And he's like, oh, yes, yes. And that's, you know, that becomes the theme of the neighborhood. Uh, are we? Do you want to talk about the puns later? Or do you want to mention them We now? can talk about the puns later, but I, okay. was, I will jump in to say that um, he had originally designed the neighborhood with all pudding restaurants. And that's what he yes. was freaking out about. He didn't think pudding was quite right. And then Janet jumps in with frozen yogurt and he loves it. Yeah, let's go. We'll go through the pudding restaurant names later. Yes. Oh, my God. Back to the present, Michael is trying to explain to Janet why he won't kill her. She's very insistent that she be killed. And he's sort of spluttering. He's giving reason after reason that don't really add up. And Janet keeps calling him out on like, that doesn't make sense. And finally, he just says, the reason is friends. I loved that. (laughs) I did too. He said, you know, you're my friend, Janet. We've been through so much together. You're my oldest, truest, most loyal friend. And Janet's like, oh, that's really nice. You still have to kill me. And Michael says, okay, so this problem that you're facing is about emotion. That's a human problem. Maybe we should maybe we should consult our most problematic human. And then, of course, the sitcom funny cut to Eleanor, of course, our most problematic too. human, <laughs> obviously. So she's like, I I get the Jason thing. He's a ding-dong, but he's a straight hottie. Uh, So she advises Janet to do, you know, what human women do after a breakup. Um, Go dancing, listen to No Doubt. I've done that 100%. (laughs) Dye your hair. She kind of asks if Janet can can experience drugs. And Janet's like, well, if I get close to magnets, you know, that kind of is the same effect. She's like, all right, go pop some magnets. And we kind of end the episode with uh, Michael and Janet talking to each other again. And, and Janet says, uh, that was helpful. Um, I'm going to go get it, girl. And he says, get what? And she says, unclear. I'll get everything just to be safe. And she, you know, she's glad that she says, you know, I'm glad that we're friends. She pops back to her void. And then she pops back in a moment later with a gentleman who is at, at, not facing the camera to begin with. So I was sitting there going, is is that, could it be? <laughs> she introduces him as Derek and it's a human that she made. It's and a Michael's, rebound guy. Yeah. And Eleanor Michael's, tells her to get a rebound guy. That's right. And and Michael says, you can't make a, 
person. And Janet's like, well, I did. And then at some point he turns around and it is Jason Manzoukas. Zooks. Oh, my God. Whom we have mentioned before on the show. We have. He is the uh, scumbag perfume magnate from... uh, Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation. Uh, but he is, that's not who he's playing here, obviously. And he instead is playing this hilariously clueless, dopey, newborn adult. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of going around Michael's office and like, it's sort of acting the way that Janet acted after she was rebooted to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, just kind of like, uh, swatting at things and introducing himself to the plants. He and he's so funny, and it's just like, and the episode kind of just ends on Michael being like, "What the? We can't. What is the? What? <laughs> you know? Cut to black." And you know, last podcast episode, I said the episode in two weeks is called Derek, and who's Derek? Well, Derek yeah, is, that's is him. So yeah, we're, we got it. We're now. gonna get a lot. More, yeah, we got it now. We're gonna get a lot more of him. I just feel the need to just yell Zooks for the next. 40 minutes. (laughs) I don't think we were ever clear in the episode about who exactly Jason Mansukis is. Um, In the episode we talked about, we talked about him being on uh, Parks and Rec, but specifically the reason that Brianna and I are fans is because that he does a podcast called How Did This Get Made, which is an extremely popular podcast. Like when they do live shows, the tickets sell out in about a tenth of a second. Uh, It's like a podcast that makes fun of bad movies. And he is sort of the most out um outlandish <laughs> he's sort of yes he is the most outlandish personality on that show and and he's, he's very well known for that at this point yeah i mean he's been on the league uh yeah. i don't actually have a great familiarity with his filmography he was in that um amy poehler paul rudd movie they came together yeah um, he's been in he's been in uh he i think he's probably the most well known for the league where he plays like a straight up crazy person i've i've watched a fair bit of the league and he just he plays like a nightmare human like a just a garbage person um, <laughs> but he's been on uh yeah he was in they came together he's been on transparent he was he on, wrote right along right he did write right along he was the voice of the scarecrow in the lego batman movie he's got a lot oh, yeah. of like uh, kind of he, weird credits. Yeah, yeah. he was on. Uh, he was in Sleeping with Other People. He was on an episode of um, Playing House, and uh, yeah, so he's he's had like a varied, uh, a varied film and television career, and I, he writes a lot. Um, he started. He's uh, still not on Twitter, guys. He's still not on Twitter, uh, but he started, I think, on, at Upright Citizens Brigade and did that for. Oh, is that right? Years. Yeah. Um, and did that for many years and, uh, is just like, I, I think in real life, like I've heard interviews with him where he's like a normal person and he seems just like very, like a genuinely thoughtful, smart, good human being, but all of his, I, Persona. I, per, yeah. yeah, I heard an interview with him basically where he said that, um, he went through a terrible breakup and he started growing, uh, what somebody he knows referred to as a a mental illness beard like he has like a big bushy beard (laughs) and uh he started getting work 
after he grew this beard because he had like a certain kind of look, I guess. And the look, yeah, I've never seen him without the beard. I have seen like an old headshot of him, and he's like not a bad looking guy without the beard, but with the beard, he's been you know been getting all these like really crazy, crazy parts and. because he's been getting work with the beard, he hasn't gotten rid of it. And so he's just had this crazy person beard for a long time. And so he keeps getting these parts for crazy people, basically. And I don't think this is an exception. I mean, usually he plays... Um, kind of scumbags. Scumbags. He actually did a, an interview with Seth Meyers where they went through his filmography and he went through like every time he's played a scumbag um which was basically all of his roles he's not a scumbag in this but he is a little nutsy like a little crazy i i cannot imagine where this is going <laughs> i'm so excited though <laughs> is this a real person is this a human being did she you know what i mean like i don't think so she can make well uh, okay so I guess this gets back to kind of a fundamental question about the afterlife, which is how physical is it really? I mean, obviously people in the afterlife can, they have a semblance of a body. They can feel pain. Yeah. That's how the bad place works. They can feel discomfort and and all kinds of things. Um, but obviously they don't really have their mortal bodies uh, because Chidi would be squished, and so would uh, so would Tahani, if they actually had their little, and so would Eleanor, if they if they had their real human bodies. You know, they have some sort of faux metaphysical body that just kind of is a vessel for this soul of theirs that is experiencing the afterlife. So Janet, so and then so Janet can make things that these faux soul bodies can experience she can make food for them and all kinds of physical objects that they can interact with yeah can she also make a person (laughs) that's a great question i i don't i don't and are they gonna like delve into that or are they just kind of like hand wave it and be like he's derek i (laughs) probably um I don't know, because he says to her, like, you can't make a person. And she's like, well, I did, you know. Yeah, but- yeah it's hard to know if that can't was literal in terms of you you are not able to, or if, like, it is not ethical not advisable, or correct. Right. It's not advisable <laughs> for you to make a person. Um, or inconceivable, right, at that point, that she would have made a person. Uh, yeah, I that I'm not sure, and I wonder if we're going to get into that, because it's very clear from a lot of the visual gags in this episode that janet is you know she looks like a person she acts like a person to some degree um she's very clearly her insides are not human insides Uh, because you know like we see when michael's running the diagnostic on her like puts the scope up to her ear and there's like a it's like a prism inside of her head because you can see the rainbow on the other side which i thought was brilliant um so I wonder if she, like, ha- I mean, I guess she would know human anatomy because she knows everything in the universe, but she might not really have a sense of, she doesn't have a sense of what it is to have a real human body. So I don't know how she would concoct one. And clearly he's, like, a little off 
It's right. <laughs> can I read this quote for I we're getting uh, I, I want to get into the article roundup later, but this is particularly about uh, Jason, the Jason Manzuka's character. Um, it's from the AV Club, uh, the article about the re- it's basically the recap of the episode. Um, it says the good place continues to exhibit impeccable casting instincts and Jason Manzoukas joins other recurring actors whose comic alertness fill out the show's world with unpredictable energy. Manzoukas is one of the funniest anywhere at playing excitable and slightly unhinged and his Derek <laughs> is as enthusiastically clueless as only a just born artificial boyfriend created on the first try by another artificial life form struggling with emergence, emerging sentience would be. So this seems to suggest that he's sort of artificial himself. But who knows? Well, it I mean, I don't think she could create a soul. Maybe that's naive of me, but it seems like for her to create something that is akin to an Eleanor or a Chidi does not seem possible. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he is a lot like her, but... Not as smart. <laughs> Janet goes for the dum-dums. Does, she does. She goes for the ding-dongs. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to see next week's episode. Do you think he's going to be like a... He's going to continue on? Or he's just kind of going to be like a... It's going to happen next week and then he'll be banished to the... To Never Never Land. He'll be like stuck in the void or something. Or he'll just something. be like a blip. I don't know. I mean, I because I love Jason Manzoukas, I hope he sticks around. But I don't know how sustainable it is to have a character like that. It's not especially. <laughs> yeah. He's like so crazy. Oh, fun fact that is a random tangent. But Darcy Carden was a guest on one of the episodes of um, How Did This Get Made? The podcast. Oh, was she really? Yeah, she was on the episode Escape from L.A. I gotta listen to that yeah. again. Because I listened to that, but I didn't know who she was at the time. Yeah. So presumably they've known each other for a while. Because that was back when the first season of of uh, The Good Place was just airing, I think. Mm. So it could be that this has been in the works for a while. And they're just waiting for like, what's the craziest character we could possibly make for you? I don't know that they can. And maybe this is... Maybe this is not, um, maybe I don't have a good grasp of the economics of this show, but I wonder if they can afford to bring him on sort of as a new secondary character who appears often enough, you know, to be kind of a fixture. Um, It's not that I think that his uh, quote is so incredibly high. It's just that it would be higher than a lot of the actors on that show who are mostly unknowns. Yeah. You know, it's like Ted dancing, Kristen Bell, and then everybody else is someone that you have never heard of before. Yeah. Or, or bit players who are sort of known for being bit players and other Michael Schur. Yes, exactly. So can they afford to have Jason Manzoukas on, you know, on a, on a recurring basis, you know, is a kind of a question mark. Well, Parks and Rec did. Uh, He didn't, he showed up like, he started showing up, I think, in like the second or third season, and he would show up maybe like once a season after that. Well, we, you know, once a season yeah. is pretty infrequent. Yeah. And I also strongly suspect that Parks and Rec had a bigger budget than The Good Place does. I don't know. Maybe. So I, you know, I think that the economics of network television have really changed in the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and where 
sitcoms used to be given sort of extravagant budgets. I think nowadays it's it's pretty, you know, people are watching their wallets. Yeah. Well, one of the reviews actually that I found for this episode actually sort of did make note of that, that this is almost like another bottle episode in a way, because most of it is in, uh, takes place in Michael's office and it only is between Darcy Carden and Ted Danson. Yeah. So I thought about that, but I, I think morally it doesn't fit the requirements of a bottle episode. Specifically because, as we talked about with the real bottle episode, uh, which was, I think, the fourth week yeah. of uh, of this season, bottle episodes are usually done at least in part to save money. And it doesn't seem that this episode could have saved anybody money at all because there's so many special effects having to do with the, the glitching. That's true. That's true. Yeah, the special effects, uh, the visual effects in this episode were fantastic. I want to, like screen grab there's a point at which michael's doing a diagnostic um that's like the random object generator and it's just a roulette wheel of like all these or a what's the term for that it's just like a bunch of spinning wheels that line up together kind of like when you're yeah it's almost slots. like a i would say it's almost like a slot machine and uh it gives you and i just want to like freeze frame that and see all of the different options that she could have gotten and i want like the i've said this before about other gags but i want the uh, writer's room whiteboard of all the different examples that she could have gotten. Cause... Yeah, she ends up having to produce an ostrich steak speared on a pencil that says, Lordy, Lordy, you're over 40? Yeah. Is that right? It's a giant novelty pencil. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is giant. Yeah. And it seems as though it actually exists in real life. I mean, she seems to have actually been holding it. That is... So props you know... to their props department. Yes. <laughs> Actual props to you. Yeah, there were there were other equally ludicrous things that she could have been called upon to create, which I think someone did catch a couple that were also on the, the spinning wheels, um, but I don't remember what they were. They were equally absurd. I also, after we've talked all this time about Zooks, who admittedly we do love, I also want to just, like, take a moment to acknowledge just, like, how sort of weirdly sweet this episode was. Yeah. Ted Danson, just killing it again. This week and last week. Yeah. He's really coming through with the human emotions. Yeah, the team cockroach is uh, rubbing off on him. Yeah, I thought his his evolution over time has been great. And I just love how how flustered he gets when he realizes that he actually does care about her. Because she's still sort of in that place where, you know, she's not quite... Like, we talked about this a lot last week, that we ascribe these human traits and these human values to Michael and Janet, even though they're not human. And Janet is still sort of in this place where she's like, oh, that's sweet, but you have to kill me because logically it's the thing to do. She's a little bit more like Spock. And, uh, you know... Needs the many. He, Yeah, and he... uh, he comes... That's utilitarianism, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it really is. Um, but, uh, you know, Michael is getting sort of more and more human as the season wears on, I think. It's interesting because we know that Michael is incredibly old. He he puts his birth year into Janet in season one after she's been rebooted. He puts his birth year as 0000. So we're to understand that he... 
maybe exists outside time or maybe has been around since the beginning of the human race or something like that. You know, and, and at one point he talks about, quote unquote, millennials, which are people <laughs> who have only been torturing for a thousand years. Yeah. So he is very, very old. No offense to Danson. And so it's kind of funny that after so many years of, I mean, what it seems like kind of standard outlook for for someone in the bad place pardon me someone running the bad place he now seems to have done a fairly fast uh reversal of that outlook yeah i mean well a part of that might be because as he said before like architects don't live in their neighborhoods and this was the first time he tried doing that and the first time he therefore like got to know anybody that he was torturing right you don't think that the people... So he was never... I don't think he was ever an on-the-ground torturer. I mean, I could be wrong about this. I had. I was under the impression that he was sort of an architect's apprentice for all this time. Yeah. Which might mean designing lesser pieces of a bad place neighborhood or yeah. coordinating the bad Janet or something like that. So I don't get the notion that he was ever sort of in a bad place neighborhood actually torturing. But it does seem like if you are a bad place torturer, like um, Eleanor's fake soulmate, Chris, the mailman. <laughs> in the twisting department. Right, in the twisting department. I mean, maybe he just steps up to a new human being, twists them, and then throws them you know, to the next part of the assembly line. Maybe he doesn't really have any time to interact with them but if the bad place really is comprised of neighborhoods the way that the good place is and it seems like it must be because of everything that we've seen from michael's pov then how many people are really in a real bad place neighborhood and and don't the demons who are assigned there to torture they must become familiar with the people that they're torturing after a while unless the neighborhoods are unfathomably huge maybe but also it might be that I get the sense that a lot of like Chris is a good example of this the hot mailman is a good example of a bad place employee who is just content to do exactly what he's been told to do and nothing more than that Um, and Vicky's an example of a bad place employee who wants to do even worse and gets a lot of pleasure out of Torture, And I think you and I have had conversations before about how, whether or not Michael actually has affection for human beings. Right. What he, he, he very much at least pretends to in the first season, the whole human world, kind of like Ariel from the Little Mermaid. Well, that's the paperclips, the bowl of paperclips that we see in this episode that he, he takes a paperclip in order to sort of self-destruct Janet. Which she ends up not doing. Which she ends up not doing. (laughs) Um, But the first season that bowl of paper clips he's like he's he collects paper clips because he's fascinated by them and he thinks they're great that's what he says at the time yeah it's difficult to know if that was a real reflection of his inner state or if he was kind of giving a bs explanation to eleanor to throw her off the scent yeah but i do think he has some level of affection for humans in a way that other bad place employees don't because that's the only i mean that's the only way i can really explain how you know tight he's become with like eleanor for example you know he's awfully dismissive of the entire human race in the bottle episode that's true i mean that doesn't negate anything else that we're saying but 
it seems to be pretty complicated. And it, it also makes you wonder if his whole notion to try to reimagine torture as happening, you know, by humans for humans, you know, what the real motivation was behind that. Yeah, whether or not it was to give himself an out so that they didn't have to do it anymore. Yeah, although, again, you know, he does say pretty casually that humans are like cockroaches and that he's the exterminator, and that doesn't seem to bother him in the slightest. Yeah, you're right. It's weird, because on the one hand, like... He does seem sort of tickled by humans, but on the other hand, he seems to sort of be very dismissive of them. It's almost like, I I guess it's kind of like maybe our domesticated animals in a sense. Maybe that's not the greatest analogy, but it's sort of like, you know, we're very, we love our domestic pets and, um, you know, we take care of them. We get them to the vet and whatnot, but we don't respect them. In a, in a way, we know we don't, we're not going to consult them if we're going to, if we want to buy a new house or paint the kitchen, we're not going to ask for their opinion on it. I'm just imagining that. <laughs> Sparky, we've been thinking long and hard you, about this. You have two cats, one of enormous, enormous cats, male cats, one yes. of whom hates everyone and everything except for your husband and yep older child and i can just imagine you trying to get him to agree to anything (laughs) Mm, but you see what i mean like you can have affection for a being and still not regard it as something that is worthy of being treated as any kind of equal yeah he certainly doesn't think of them as equals to him in any way no he likes to break out the line about how he can see in nine dimensions anytime they try to sort of compare themselves to him right but at the same time, as we saw in, you know, the previous episode where he is torturing Chidi with the trolley problem, he does have a lot to learn from them. And I think has learned a lot from them about emotional IQ, basically, and, and um, relationships, actual relationships. Because I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before, too, but I think the fact that he is as old as time means that he doesn't have the kind of relationships that he is forging now, right? Like, he doesn't seem to be particularly close to anybody in his office. We have no idea about his personal life outside of work. It seems like if he is living inside this neighborhood with these humans, there's no way that he has any sort of real life outside of his work, right? Right. Um... So that means that he's essentially gone all of eternity without any real human contact. Not or a, well, a, you know, sentient being contact, right? Which may be normal for bad place uh, beings, demons, maybe. we'll call them, even though it's a little racist. Maybe. But maybe that's why he's acting the way he's acting now, because he is getting a taste of that and finding that that actually kind of suits him in a weird way. And in another way, in another weird way, that makes him a lot like Eleanor, right? She's had nobody yes. her entire life. And now all of a sudden she has people who care about her. Yes, good call. They, they, there's this constant sort of parallels being drawn between Michael and Eleanor that bear themselves out, you know, episode after episode. Yeah. I did love Eleanor as the most problematic human. <laughs> well, she she clearly she is. is. <laughs> I love I love the moment where she goes. I've never said this 
truthfully before, but this might be too much information. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see because we, we've had the conversation about whether or not our four human characters have changed irrevocably over the timeline of this experiment. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. What's that? Because Janet has. For sure. Now we know for sure. We now know for sure. So it seems like a pretty short leap to the quartet changing. Yeah. And it might be, you could say, well, they're, they're fundamentally different beings. Janet changes every time she's rebooted and the humans are kind of just getting a memory wipe. But I don't think it's too far afield to say, well, you know, Janet retained some of this change in some deep down part of her. And there's no reason to think it couldn't be the same for the the humans. I agree. I agree. And I think that goes hand in hand with the question we've been asking of like, um, for the cheaty Eleanor relationship, you know, she has been walking around for weeks with, well, months at this point now, because we jumped a month in between. Oh, that's right. She's been walking around now for months with this knowledge in her head that cheaty and she have confessed their love to each other. And that hasn't come up yet. Yeah, that's a... Um, that's a ticking that's, time bomb. <laughs> yes, that is a landmine that somebody buried in the front yard and just waiting for some kid to run over it. <laughs> well, because I wonder now because of... And we did... I think I did call that there might be a Tahani, Jason, uh, Janet love triangle <laughs> at some point, which we might very well run into, Derek or no Derek. Um, it may be that Derek has to die. And oh, no. <laughs> no. Back to love triangling. I think we've put a lot of stock into this like relatively sort of silly relationship between Jason and Tahani. And Tahani is admittedly being much sweeter. Like she's trying jalapeno poppers because she says. Yeah, but this relationship is just, it's like the Titanic, man. It is. They're just rearranging. You know, the the various, the, the various, you know that the Titanic had all those different sort of compartments along the bottom yeah. and, and they could only sink when a, a large number of them had filled up with water. I mean, they're just filling up with water one by one <laughs> as we watch. Yeah. I mean, it just, it cannot last. Right. But that's, but what I mean is we've spent like a lot of time on this relatively, like this relationship that we know is not sustainable. Arguably it was for Janet's, character growth i would say more than it was for jason or tahani you know meanwhile we have this actual romance that has just been simmering on the back burner for weeks and weeks and weeks can i just say right off the bat how appreciative i am that they did not even flirt for one moment with the notion of putting michael and janet together Oh, yeah. No. Uh, Yes, exactly. Super gross. She's like, that's a horrible idea. I think she says Yeah, so I think Eleanor Eleanor brings it up, right? And Janet's just like, nope. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, Janet, you speak for us all. It would be super gross if some guy outside of time and the artificial intelligence that he woke up and lied to had some sort of relationship. And he's her boss, technically. Yeah, oh yeah, it would also be sexual harassment, yeah. okay? We've had enough Let's, of that in real life. We've had enough. So much of it! Too, way too much. I, I've been thinking about, this is just sort of a meta 
note here, but like I've been thinking about like of all the things to do a podcast about, like why are we doing a podcast about this? It's because it's like just a nice, it's like a, a, just a, a nice escape from all of the like actual bad place nonsense we're dealing with in real life, I think is one of the reasons. Yeah, I think so. My friend Trifton, who also listens to the show, so shouts to Trifton, said something to me along the lines of like, open, you know, another day, another opening the paper and being like, oh, this is the bad yeah. place. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we, we've done it. We, we have entered the darkest timeline. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. No, no, not even a whiff of that. But also notice, right, that... Eleanor does say, I get why you are in love with Jason. But then when she's trying to think of another guy for Janet to hook up with, she does not say Chidi. No, she does not. She she says, is Michael an option? And and Janet says, no. And Eleanor does not say, oh, well, there's always Chidi. She just says, oh, get yourself a rebound guy. That's going to be pretty hard, but you'll, you'll figure it out. Go get it, girl. Right? So... Notice, I mean, that's a very, very subtle thing, but I wonder if that was a... uh, Oh, totally intentional. Yeah, an intentional omission on her part. Uh, You know, of all of the pairings on the show that people want to see, Michael Janet is super gross, but I think Is anyone shipping it? No, 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 no. Sorry. I I mean, of all the possible pairings on the show, Michael Janet is probably the grossest. Yeah. But Cheaty Janet is maybe the most outlandish. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would say, well, Janet and Jason was pretty outlandish, too. But, but I mean, I think, you know, in your heart, it's just cheating Marissa all the time. So, you know. Sure. Um, that's a given. That's a <laughs> but. But but I, I, this is not me trying to save Chidi for myself. No. This is me just thinking like Chidi could never in a million years feel comfortable with, you know, being involved with an AI. You know, he yeah. would have ethics quandary after ethics quandary in his head about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it worked with Jason because Jason is just as we've said before, like just such a simpleton. <laughs> like he's just like <laughs> he's just like such a he. He displays, like, as we have talked about with Tahani, right? He displays, like, very simple human kindnesses. And Janet responded to that in the first season by basically becoming immediately attached to him because he was the person who was nice to her regardless of whether or not she, she was, helpful. was helpful. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, di- it did kind of make sense in, like, a very weird way. Interesting to know that it has evolved with her over these like 800 some odd iterations of of this neighborhood because it didn't really show up before last episode. We didn't. Oh, I see. Well, but there was also no real time for that. You know, yeah, that's through the thing. So many versions. Right. I mean, we we it would be interesting to know what happened um, in some of the longer versions of the neighborhood before 802 but it just seems like this was sort of a perfect storm of jason and tahani getting together and also using janet as a couples counselor yeah which is a fairly specific set of circumstances that probably hadn't happened to this point yeah you want to get into article roundup sure uh first let's uh this article uh 
brings us to our Megan Amram Appreciation Corner. Uh, yes. It's from GQ. Amramica the Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's from GQ. So, you know, Gentleman's Quarterly is getting in on the good place. <laughs> um, so it... They're also going to tell you whether they prefer French cuffs or the other <laughs> kind. What's the other? It doesn't I matter. don't know. I don't wear... I'm not fancy enough. It's called How the Good Place Gets Its Weird Magical Food. Uh, and this is the, a little chunk from Megan Amram, uh, about Megan Amram. Uh, this is specifically about the second week episode, correct? Yes, but we saw a lot of the same puns, uh, or different puns, but I think probably from the same batch in this episode, because... Ah, okay. Yeah. So it says, this episode, meaning the second episode where everything's sort of flitting through... Uh, functions as a sort of 22-minute exercise in frustration for Michael, but for Megan Amram, a supervising producer on the show, getting the assignment to write this episode was a career highlight. She says, it was as close to Christmas as I, a Jewish person, have ever experienced, which I just wanted to include because... Shouts to other members of the tribe. Megan Amram, get a girl. We are also Jewish people, and (laughs) just appreciated (laughs) that. And she uh, it says, Amram spent over six hours at a coffee shop drafting the script, sprinkling episodes with some of the best food puns a TV show has ever seen. So she came up with, like, Michael sure said, like, six or seven pages of, of puns. So she not only wrote an entire episode of television, but also six or seven pages worth of puns in six hours. An incredibly ambitious yes. episode of television, let's be clear. So, so let's talk about the puns. Yes, oh my god. Yes, let's talk about the puns that we see in the when Michael and Janet are creating the neighborhood, and Michael thinks he's going to go with pudding, but they eventually end up going with frozen yogurt. So we see Custard's Last Flan. Yes. Panna cotta de vita. That my personal fave. <laughs> <laughs> and I taught I taught a pudding vet. Oh my god. Just there was some more. I think the A V Club had some more, but those were the ones that I liked the best. They were hysterical. You have to assume, right, that she didn't write this episode, but that they just went whoever back was to writing the, well. the episode was just like, Yeah, yeah, let me just get that seven page document. <laughs> we just pull some of those out. Um so, shouts to you, Megan Amram. We will continue to have an appreciation corner for you whenever it is warranted, which is... Thus ends Amramica the Beautiful. <laughs> yes. uh, so, to continue with the article roundup, uh, the AV Club, in addition to doing the recap uh, of the episode, had a feature called Nothing on TV is Doing Visual Humor Like the Good Place is Doing Visual Humor. We should tweet these out, uh, these articles. Yeah, we probably should. Um, so... Uh, the quote that I pulled from here is the neighborhood is a microcosm of the good place. Multiple aspects of the t- of the show's production, acting, writing, direction, cinematography, editing, set design, set decoration, post-production and visual effects working in harmony to create something that's cute and clever from a bird's eye view, but gets smarter and weirder and more distinctly its own thing as it comes into focus. So they're, they are talking about um, in particular, all the visual uh, gags and, in this episode and uh, in in previous episodes too, but I think this episode had, as Marissa alluded to earlier, like so many visual effects and just like really clever use of what what they sort of refer to as like using the whole screen to tell a story and to tell a joke, right? That it's it's not just that 
you know, she says, oh, you're right. I, I'm not okay with them getting together. It's, we see it visually in the fact that she's glitching. She's throwing up coins and, you know, she lies to Michael and a six foot sub falls from the ceiling. And, you oh, know, yeah. the, you know, she lies to Tahani and Jason and the world around them falls apart. It's just they're, they're using the whole environment to tell a story. I think it also made mention of the fact that if you are a canny viewer and you freeze frame some of the things that they do, then you get like all these extra jokes. Yeah. Like the very first episode of the first season, when you get a a sense of what is positive and negative points in your ultimate evaluation, how something like, you know, continued to root for the Cleveland Cleveland Browns is like (laughs) a big positive points. Uh, Poisoning a lake is, is like negative 4,000 points or something like that. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They really do. I I think this is, I think they make the point that like, this is sort of made for the freeze frame era of television where, you know, I I think especially this goes back to the puns. Oh man. Can I just say as someone who was taping every episode of the X-Files for, oh, here we go. Another, another X-Files mention. I I wasn't going to say it, but (laughs) I'm glad you did. (laughs) But as someone who was literally putting these episodes onto magnetic tape inside of a plastic case. Freeze frame used to be so miserable, you know, that you would have a a VHS tape and you'd be kind of stepping through it frame by frame. But the, the resolution of the image was not great. And um, you couldn't really get a sort of a moment by moment take on, uh, on the video. Um, You would kind of get whatever your VCR kind of wanted to give you. And when I would try to kind of do these deep dives on visual aspects of my of my VHS tapes, it just failed miserably. And it's so nice to be living in this era of like high definition and everything's digital and you can just literally step frame by frame if that's what you really want to do. And if you want to read the big screen behind Michael that has all the positive and negative point values, you can do yeah. that. Yeah. And if you want to freeze frame through every uh, single restaurant name, you can do that too. Yeah. Not a, there are worse uses of your time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there, there sure are. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that is one of the really uh, revolutionary things about this show is that they understand that and they take full advantage of it. Um, and I think, you know, being on the first season, being on a streaming service like Netflix too helps with that because... Um, you know, that stuff is, is made for you to just sort of spend your own amount of time with, uh, once it's, I mean, it's on network television now, but, uh, to have it sort of there for you whenever you want, you can always sort of go back and scroll through it to your own, at your own leisure. It's really good that they have not, I think NBC has a thing with Hulu, right? I thought that was fox but maybe i'm wrong well i think multiple networks have a have an agreement with hulu but i think that nbc has something with hulu but they chose to put it on netflix for whatever reason it seems like pardon me it seems like they really wanted as as big an audience as possible and i am grateful to them for that because i don't have hulu me neither me neither i don't need to watch the handmaid's tale i'm living in it right now i was gonna say we're living it that's that's uh that's the bad place that's certainly the bad place what's the uh what's it called gideon or whatever Oh, Gilead. Gilead. So scrolling back down, I already did my like little uh, shout out to Jason Manzoukas from the AV Club. Zooks. Zooks. Um, by the way, I am seeing 
them live in a few weeks. Oh, I'm very right. excited. So I'll let you know if, if I see Zooks. If I get to ask him a question, maybe I'll ask him a question about the good place. They're not going to appreciate that in the middle of an episode unless you can tie it into the movie somehow. Maybe I will. I don't know what the movie is yet. They don't announce that until like a week before. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, there's another article from Vulture um, called the good, It's a Good Place Recap. It's called Damn It, Janet, which of course it would be. But this just has like a nice little moment. Uh, her basic adorability sets up this character's big payoff when Michael ad- admits he can't destroy her. The reason is friends, he says, surprising even himself with how much he legitimately cares about another being. In the large scheme of season two, this moment may be pivotal since it means that Chidi's ethics lessons actually stand a chance of taking hold with Michael. So I, I, I sort of took this out because I liked that sort of focus on the larger scheme, which we kind of talked about, the the fact that he's sort of becoming more human. But it does mean that his ethics lessons, you know, seem to be paying off as, as grouchy as he is about them. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it remains to be seen. It seems like we're going to have a detour now with this Derek character. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, it, it's hard to imagine that Chidi's going to get back to normal classroom stuff next week so what if we get zooks in the classroom with them oh boy uh, <laughs> uh the possibilities are endless with his ability to just be completely unhinged i'm really excited i also wanted to uh just highlight something that i heard on uh one of my favorite other podcasts recently besides uh, how did this get made uh if you'll allow me a little bit uh, from this. So it's this uh, podcast called uh, The Watch Pod with uh, Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan. They are on the Bill Simmons Podcast Network. I've been listening to them for a long time. And I love them because it's basically like they are two friends from Philly who talk about TV with each other. They've known each other for years and years and years. And so I kind of like to think that we're a little extension of that. We're sisters from philly who are talking about tv i've never heard of these people i've introduced you to them i have no memory okay <laughs> i sent you their star wars episode you said oh you i like their that. voices apart yeah oh yeah <laughs> so, oh, so we are like them in we a way. are like them um so they're great and um they uh, they actually were um one of the first places where i heard about the good place before marissa you sort of had me sit down and watch it with you. Uh, they were covering it. And actually, Andy Greenwald did a podcast uh, where he interviewed Michael Schur before The Good Place actually came out. So um, that's a good listen if you want uh, some more background. Uh, but they mentioned The Good Place in their most recent episode. And uh, Andy says, I think this show is a marvel. I think Kristen Bell and Ted Danson are two of the best TV actors working it's truly a pleasure to watch this show, and yet my feeling after watching these last few episodes was a bit like, am I watching this in a vacuum? There is an element of watching these shows that feels better when we get to watch it together. So he's wondering if, you know, he loves this show, and he's saying he hopes that everybody else is watching, and he hopes other listeners of The Watch are, are watching the show. And I just want to say to Andy Greenwald, if you're listening, I don't know. He's definitely not. He's super is don't ruin my, (laughs) my dream, uh, that, uh, we are watching with you and, uh, we love it too. And, uh, there is something to be said about the fact that like it is peak TV and you know, 
if this show had been on 20 years ago, everybody would have been talking about it. It would have been, you know, when I was um, very young, um, just sort of getting to be the age where I could kind of watch television for adults, you know, Seinfeld was on and it was all anybody ever talked about. Yeah. And because there was no alternative. If you wanted to watch a good comedy, that was basically it. And yeah, or The Simpsons was that for a very long time. For sure. But, you know, television has mushroomed to an extent where an excellent show like this, even though it's on network TV, still is not getting the buzz that it deserves. Yeah. Well, and they talked about this on The Watch, and they talk about it a lot because they are have been sort of culture critics and writers for a long time. And so they have definitely talked about the fact that, uh, and they talked about it in relationship to, uh, to the good place in this latest episode about how exactly what you said, like there are so many different options for people to be watching. And there are so many, um, ways to consume television now that like you don't have to watch, you don't have to sit at your TV and watch this on a Thursday night. Right. Um, and it sort of means that the conversation gets broken up differently. And yeah, I mean, there are not as many shows. I think probably in recent memory, like the big dramas have been uh, Breaking Bad and Game um, of Thrones, Game of Thrones for sure. And uh, Mad Men when it right. was on. But even those shows had audiences that were minuscule compared to, you know, Cheers. Speaking yeah. of Ted Danson, right? Ted Danson. Yeah. Uh, cheers and yeah definitely I think the landscape has changed so much and I mean you were talking just now about like the the benefits of digital um, but I think the fact that you know we have Netflix means that the good place is competing against even like back episodes of Friends and How I Met Your Mother and all these half an hour sitcoms that aren't on anymore but you can go on Netflix and find the entire catalog so, you know, it's, it's, I think it's an interesting time to be watching TV and, and talking about TV critically. TV has almost become what books are insofar as every new book that is published is competing against every book that has ever been published. There's mm-hmm. no sense that, like, I have to... I mean, with very few exceptions, there's no sense that, like, I have to read this book now. Um, I can read it in a year. I can read it in 10 years. It's still, you know, people still read Middlemarch or whatever, you know, yeah. books from hundreds of years ago. And it's considered just... It's considered an equally valid thing to do as to yeah. as to read something that was published last week. Yeah. It does really change the landscape of entertainment, I guess. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, you might be right. The the fact that, you know, we've got this entire catalog just waiting for you and, and the way we consume it has changed. Um, and they make the point, too, that, um, you know, with movies, you know, we still think about, like, the big opening weekend, um, you know, for TV now because it has the way that we look at the metrics have changed so much and like netflix doesn't even i don't think they even publish there they do not yeah they are very stubborn about not giving actual metrics yeah um so you know i spent most of today getting into stranger things um like that 
means that I've spent this time, you know, getting into a show that's ostensibly a year old on my own time. Um, and that's how I got into The Good Place, actually. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch the first season when it was on NBC. Right. It's a I double-edged didn't. sword. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. I think we should wrap it up. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see more Zooks next next week. I'm really excited. Yeah. That's going to be crazy go nuts university. <laughs> All right, until next time, cherish your friends. We'll see you next time, ding-dongs.